It's good to see everybody here this morning. Appreciate your presence and really glad that um, I'm able to be with you today and the next few days in the study of God's Word and uh, appreciate the invitation. Uh, the meeting was set up uh, a few years ago, and, uh, but I'm glad to be able to be here today and uh, invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me as we study and if you have any questions or comments about anything I might say, then feel free to ask me, talk to me about those things. But really glad you're here today. Well, we come together to worship God. We come together to praise Him, to honor Him, to respect Him, to appreciate Him. We come out of fear of God. We come out of a respect for God, an appreciation for God. So we're here because of God. Have you ever been disappointed? Go to your favorite restaurant and what you normally order, they don't have it that day. Are you disappointed? Yeah. We heard that Taco Bell. We have a Taco Bell in Rogersville. Heard that Taco Bell had started serving Mexican pizzas again. My wife and I really like those Mexican pizzas. So we go there with our grandkids and my daughter. We go in, no Mexican pizzas. They run out. That was disappointing. Well now, that kind of disappointment is, it doesn't last long. But have you ever been disappointed in someone that you love? They've broken a trust. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. Do you remember that disappointment? Have you ever disappointed anyone? And you could tell it in their face. You could tell that you really let them down. Do you know what's even worse than that? It's disappointing God. Disappointing God. In Genesis... I think that we're well familiar with the Genesis account of Noah and the days of Noah. And the text says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. God was sorry he had ever made man. Have you ever been sorry that you did something? I've had people come to me and sit down and, and need some marriage counseling because they had decided they were sorry that they had gotten married. Now that's a pickle to be in. But God he was sorry he'd even made man. What 
we look at Adam and Eve in the Genesis account, we find in chapter 3 and verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, you probably are familiar with that story. And you may recall that in verse 13, God wants to know, what is this you have done? Parents, I'm sure. You at some point, your children do something, and it's just, you can't believe they did that. And, and you say to them, what in the world were you thinking? Why did you do that? Classic answer. I don't know. Well, what was the answer ultimately Adam and Eve gave? Well, the devil made us do it, right? So as we think about this, this disobeying God's commandments greatly disappoints God. Jesus in Luke 6, 46, he, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I doing what I'm doing when I'm supposed to be a Christian? I'm supposed to be a disciple. Why did I do that? And all the while we know that it disappoints God. Well, there are lots of examples in scriptures about People disappointing God. In fact, from cover to cover, there's a lot of information about a lot of people, Jew and Gentile, disappointing God. In the Genesis account, I want you to notice in chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, the Lord said that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If I stop there and just briefly remind us, do you remember why God created man? I think we learned from the Ephesian letter that before the earth was ever created, God decided that He wanted more children. And so through the process of God creating man and the process of adoption that would come through Christ, God wanted more children. Now, he predetermined, pre-planned, he foreknew before the earth was ever created that he would have to send Jesus. I am not suggesting that there are things that God doesn't know, that there are things that God can't do. But it's almost as if when you read the text that man really surprised God. that we turned out a lot worse than he intended. Notice the account. The Lord was sorry, again we read that, verse 6, that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. You'll notice in verse 11, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, 
For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. So wickedness or evil was great. And there were evil thoughts continually. It was filled with violence. Now if I stop there just for a moment, this is Noah's day. Does it sound familiar today? What have we learned and we generic broad stroke mankind? What have we learned through all the centuries? Not much. Israel, in the book of Exodus, you may recall that God dealt with a special people. He chose a special people through whom He might bring the Christ. And in chapter 32 of the book of Exodus, beginning at verse 9, you may notice there that the text says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people, the New American Standard Version says. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. A stubborn people. Have you ever run into a stubborn person? Better yet. Are you stubborn? Well, that means to refuse to yield or obey or comply. There's probably a little bit of rebel in all of us. Being Americans... We're all about freedom. We don't want to be told, no, you can't do that. Would that affect our relationship with God? New American Standard uses the word obstinate there. We don't use that word probably a lot today. But it just means unreasonably determined to have one's own way. I remember my sister in growing up, uh, younger than me, and she was bound and determined to do what she wanted to do. My mother had a piano, and she didn't want anybody touching it. She didn't want fingerprints on it. And my sister would go over and touch the piano. My mother would give her strict instructions not to touch the piano. There's no telling how many spankings my sister got because she would go and touch the piano anyway. She would even get to the point after about the third spanking in a row in the about five minutes crying her eyes out she would turn and look at her mother and she would take her hand and she would go toward the piano 
beatenest thing I ever saw. I really think that is the definition of obstinate. Did you know there are people like that today? When you read about the children of Israel, they definitely were a stubborn people. But lest we be too judgmental of them, maybe we should look at ourselves. In Jerusalem, in Matthew chapter 23, our Lord had something to say about His people. In Matthew chapter 23 and beginning of verse 37, you recall there, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, what is pretty interesting about this statement of Jesus, you notice that he specifically says that they are unwilling to come to him. They're, they're rejecting him. You find that Jesus said that you have killed the prophets. Now, I listed for you a couple of passages there in 2 Kings 17 and 2 Chronicles 36. And those are really pretty uh, concise um, uh, language concerning the history of the children of Israel. Let me kind of paraphrase that uh, in this way. God said, I have sent to you many of my messengers. You've not listened to any of them. You've ridiculed them. You have mocked them. And you've even put them to death. What am I going to do with you? Now, if you are a student of the Old Testament, specifically the children of Israel, you'll find that that is a pretty good summation of the children of Israel. Jerusalem was destroyed. In fact, we find in the scriptures, Jeremiah was a boots-on-the-ground prophet of God when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem to destroy it. And why did Nebuchadnezzar come to Jerusalem? Well, because, repeat, God sent His messengers, His prophets, to the people that they should repent. Now let's rewind. Let's go back even a bit further. Do you remember who occupied the land of Canaan before Israel? All the ites, right? Lots of ites. Do you remember why God was giving the land to Israel? Because all of the ites had sinned so greatly. Now, they spent some extra time, that is the Jews, in Egypt because the time of the ites had not come. So after a few more centuries, they become more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. And God punishes the ites. 
by sending the children of Israel, defeating the ites, and the children of Israel get the land. And you remember God says, you, you know, you're, you're getting a land flowing with milk and honey. You didn't plant the vineyards. You didn't plant these trees. But I'm giving you this land, and I'm giving you all of this produce and all of these vegetables as a blessing. But I have punished the wicked, and I'm blessing you by giving you their land. And you can keep this land, and you can have this land forever. If, if you obey me. Did Israel obey God? No. In fact, in time, the land was split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, they go down first because they had gotten so far away from God, they had worshipped idols. In 721, the Assyrians came and destroyed the northern kingdom. And Israel was bad. Well, at that time, the southern kingdom of Judah was still, still had enough salt to preserve. There were still enough righteous that God preserved them. But in time, they too fell away. And in fact, God made this statement about Judah. That she had become more wicked than the ites who lived there before them. You put that in perspective. The church of the Lord. Who are we? God's people, right? We've been saved from our sins. This is not any newsflash. There are Christians that don't live the way they should. There are churches that are not what they should be. And in fact, I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury, nor am I the executioner. But by their fruits you know them, Jesus said. But there are churches that have become worse than what those people were before they ever became Christians. What have we learned as people? We're still disappointing God today. And that's sad, is it not? In Matthew chapter 9, in the midst of all of this sin and corruption, even of God's chosen people, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 35, says... And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. 
Because they were distressed. And they were downcast. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You notice that the text says that they were distressed and they were downcast and they had no shepherd. I'd like to suggest to you that this is a group of people that Jesus felt compassion for. And who were they? Did you know throughout history there's always been a few that was trying to do the right thing? A few. In Noah's day, there was only eight. I think Jesus here is talking about the few. They are surrounded by a very perverse world. Even people that claim to be God's people, they are not merciful, they're not compassionate, they're not loving. They pretend to obey God, but they don't. They call themselves people of God, but they're obviously not. For the person that is really trying to do what's right, for the person that is really looking to God, you find yourself being all alone. And that's been true with God's people throughout this book. The vast majority of people do not obey God. They have disappointed God greatly. But then there are those few. I'd suggest to you that when Jesus was on the earth, whether it be the Sermon on the Mount that begins Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, the beginning of His ministry, Throughout his time on earth, whenever he would teach God's Word, whether it be in someone's house, it would be out in a field, whether it be in the temple, lots of people would gather. Because what he was saying attracted people that loved God. Jesus was a light in a dark world. People get disappointed that are trying to go to heaven with people that don't care. This is not about politics. But are you disappointed with your government? Are you disappointed with your neighborhood? Are you disappointed with people at work? Why are you disappointed? Because people don't care. Now there are exceptions to that? Yes. Is it refreshing? Yes. When you meet someone at work or at school or your neighborhood that doesn't even 
really, they're not really Christians. But they're good people. Do you know what we need to do? We need to be like the Lord and have compassion for the lost. Let's rewind a little bit. You remember why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh at first? Jonah didn't want his enemies to repent. He wanted God to destroy them. But he finally goes and he preaches. And then when they repent in sackcloth and ashes, you see the attitude of Noah. Oh, did I say Noah? Jonah. His attitude was, well, Lord, I knew what would happen. I'd come up here and preach your word, and they would repent. Sure as the world. And he was upset about that. I think maybe we get kind of in that ugly mode. Those are bad people out there. They're wicked. God needs to destroy them. But God calls upon us to have compassion. Snatch them out of the fire. Try our best to help others to stop disappointing God. In Matthew 5 and verse 20 is, is, a, is a tough statement that our Lord made in this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. When you think about the idea of surpassing the scribes and the Pharisees, time doesn't permit in this particular segment to go into any detail, but I think you're a knowledgeable audience. You understand God's word. Think about all the confrontations that Jesus had with the scribes and the Pharisees. They felt themselves an elitist group. They felt that they alone were righteous. When in actuality, there was not anybody that was further from the Lord than that. And here you have, let's just say, the average Jew who is poor, who sees the ruling hierarchy's hypocrisy. And when Jesus is preaching, and as we say in Kentucky, He's just skinning them. The average Jew thought it was justice. Because they're getting what they deserve. So then the warning. 
Jesus said, if you don't do better than they do, you're not going to heaven. So I think there's a warning there for us as God's people. We can become judge, jury, and executioner. And that's not our job. Our job is to do the best we can on obeying God and not disappointing Him. But helping others that are disappointing God to help them to see there's a better way. Well, how is it better? Well, we have a better covenant. In, in the Jeremiah account, and again, I'm, I'm quite sure you're familiar with this passage, but let's, let's reread that just for a moment to refresh our memory. When Jeremiah prophesies and says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. New as in kind. A new kind of law. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, but my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is a covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You see, to be a child of God under the Mosaic law, you was born into that physically. Wasn't your choice? You'd grow up, you'd be told who you are and what you're supposed to do, and you needed to comply. But you had no choice. Jeremiah says, there's going to be a new law that God is going to give it's going to be new in kind. Notice he says, you don't have to be taught. Know the Lord, for they will know me. But what does that mean? It means that everyone under the new covenant that is a child of God, you have to be taught and you have to make the choice to become a child of God. So all of those that call upon the Lord, all of those that are His people, made a choice to be a child of God. So there was a difference in way, the way a person became part of the family of God. We have a better high priest. The, the, the priest under the Mosaic law, they had to first offer sins or sacrifices for their own sins. But Jesus Christ... He made one sacrifice for all sins, for all mankind, one time. Doesn't have to be repeated. That sacrifice that He gave of Himself on the cross was strong enough, was great enough. It satisfied the wrath of God. You recall in the, in the garden when Jesus prayed three times. 
He asked, let this cup pass from me. If you'll notice in the prophets and also in the book of Revelation, there is this concept of the wrath of God being in a cup and being poured out upon the people that God's wrath will judge. Jesus prayed that God's wrath would not be poured out upon him. But his sacrifice that he made was an appeasement, was an appeal, was a sacrifice for God to say, no right. That's a high priest that we have today. To take care of that by being both high priest and sacrifice. We have complete forgiveness. Every sin that we commit can be forgiven through the blood of Christ when we are obedient to His commands, to His laws. We serve a God of great compassion. We serve a God of great love and mercy. Grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. What do we deserve? What should we receive? Because we've all disappointed God. But because of His grace, and because of His mercy, and because of His love, and because of Christ, His wrath can be turned away if you obey Jesus Christ. You see, throughout the Bible, there's always been an if. An if. God will do such and such if. The same is true even today. In Hebrews 10.31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And in chapter 12 and verse 29, for our God is consuming fire. You can't help but see that when you read from cover to cover of the Bible. There is a God who is a great and awesome God. And as someone rightly said, you don't mess around with God. Well, that's the first half. The second half is a little bit more of a positive side to all of this story. Thank you for listening. That's all I got to say. I'm done with it. So, we want to extend the invitation, did we not? Song of invitation has been selected. The number is... 291. There might be someone here that, thinking about this lesson, thinking about yourself, you've disappointed God. You can please God by obeying His will. And through the blood of Christ, you can be forgiven. So if we can help you this morning, why don't you come with us and sing?